Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the countdown to Easter. Easter Sunday is just five weeks away. And in years past, we would have used these Sundays to talk about how we can grow in our relationship with God, or how we can take our faith to the next level, or just getting ready to celebrate the good news of the resurrection. But this year is a little bit different. This year, we have all been facing some difficult times in our lives, really since about this time last year when the coronavirus began to spread around our world and across our country. So over the last year, we have all felt isolated and alone. We've all felt some cabin fever. We've all been grieving something. So we're all going through difficult times. So right now, we're talking about how we can continue to follow God when we face these difficult times. And we're doing this by exploring how Jesus continued to follow God, even when Jesus faced one of the most difficult times in his life. That time was Holy Week, the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And in today's sermon, we're going to be exploring something that happens on the Monday of Holy Week, when Jesus arrives at the temple for the first time that week. And we're going to be looking at Jesus' reaction to what's happening in the temple. And I'll admit, when we first see Jesus' reaction, doesn't seem like an example that we want to follow when we face God during difficult times. But we're going to talk about why Jesus reacts the way that he does, and how that should help us as we think about how we can continue to follow God during these difficult times. So let's get right into this week's sermon. Well, I think it's safe to say the countdown to Easter is now on. We are now just five weeks away from Easter Sunday. And in the past, we've used the weeks leading up to Easter at Melbourne Heights to talk about how we can reconnect with God. Or we've used the weeks leading up to Easter to talk about how we can take our faith to the next level. Or we've used the weeks leading up to Easter to just talk about how we can be ready to celebrate the good news of the resurrection. And you know what? In and of themselves, none of these things are bad things to talk about in the weeks leading up to Easter especially if Easter happens in a vacuum. But Easter doesn't happen in a vacuum. Easter happens in the real world. Easter happens in the real world. And in the real world, a pandemic doesn't just go away because Easter is coming. In the real world, people that have been infected by a virus aren't miraculously cured just because Easter is coming. In the real world, our problems don't get solved just because Easter is coming. And in the real world, things that make our life difficult don't get any easier just because Easter is coming. And if we're all being honest with ourselves right now, we have to admit that this last year has been difficult for us all. Over the course of the last year here at Melbourne Heights, we have not been able to meet together for an in-person worship service or activity. And when you add to that the fact that all of us have had to miss out on things like birthday parties or holiday celebrations or just family gatherings, then we've all gone through a difficult time because we've all felt at least a little bit isolated and at least a little bit alone over the course of the last 12 months. On top of that, we haven't even been able to enjoy some of the simple pleasures in life that we look forward to. Things like going out to dinner with our friends at a restaurant or taking our family out to the movies. So not only are we feeling isolated and alone, we're also feeling a little bit of cabin fever, which makes life more difficult. And this doesn't even talk about the fear and the anxiety that we all continue to feel some of as we live through a pandemic that has contributed to the deaths of about two and a half million people worldwide. So yeah, right now we are all going through a difficult time. 
So we want to spend the weeks leading up to Easter this year talking about how we can continue to follow God even when we face these difficult times in our lives. And we're doing this by exploring how Jesus faced what was not only one of the most difficult times in his life, but what was also one of the most difficult times in the history of the church. We're talking about what happens during Holy Week, the week that led up to Jesus' crucifixion. And we started exploring some of the different events that take place during Holy Week last week. And we were exploring what happened on the Sunday of Holy Week. And on the Sunday of Holy Week, Jesus comes and he arrives at the religious and the political capital of ancient Israel. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. But Jesus doesn't just come walking through the gates of the city. No. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem like a conquering king. He comes riding in on the back of a donkey as people are waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then we talked about what this means for us as we try to follow God in difficult times in our lives. And we saw that this story tells us that no matter what else may happen, Jesus is still king. Even though Jesus is about to be betrayed by one of his disciples and abandoned by all the rest, Jesus is still king. Even though Jesus is about to be arrested and put on trial and convicted, Jesus is still king. Even though Jesus is about to be tortured and humiliated and executed on a cross, Jesus is still king. So no matter what difficulties we may face in our lives, the first lesson that we need to learn to help us follow God in difficult times is that no matter what this world may bring, Jesus is still king. But that's just the first lesson that we need to learn to help us follow God in difficult times. So today we want to move on. We want to put the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem behind us, and we want to focus in on another event. And this event takes place on the Monday of Holy Week. And once again, we'll find details about this event in Mark chapter 11. And just as a reminder for you here, the book of Mark is one of four books in the New Testament that we refer to as the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we refer to these four books as the Gospels because these four books tell us the good news of Jesus. And the word gospel means good news. So inside of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to find stories about Jesus' ministry and the miracles that he performed. And we'll find stories about Jesus' crucifixion and later on about his resurrection. But today we want to focus in on the story of what happens on the Monday of Holy Week. So let's look at this passage together. We'll be reading in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 15. Here's what Mark writes. Jesus and his disciples came into Jerusalem. After entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and chairs of those who sold doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them. Hasn't it been written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. The chief priests and legal experts heard this and tried to find a way to destroy him. They regarded him as dangerous because the whole crowd was enthralled at his teaching. When it was evening, Jesus and his disciples went outside the city. 
So if you were paying attention to this passage, you probably noticed a few things inside of it sound a little bit strange and out of place for us. And there's a few things that sound strange and out of place for us because we would never see them as we come together to worship today. But that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. He's gone to the temple, and he has gone there to worship God. And when he arrives at the temple, the first strange thing that he sees is animals. There are things like cows and sheep and doves that are around Jesus inside of this passage. And it doesn't take long before Jesus drives these animals out of the temple. And for us, that makes perfect sense. And it makes perfect sense for us because the last thing that we would expect to see hanging outside of our sanctuary whenever we resume our in-person services down the road are a whole bunch of barnyard animals. But there was actually a reason for why these animals were in the temple. And to understand that reason, the first thing we have to understand is that the temple in Jesus' time is very different than the church in our day. The truth of the matter is the temple in Jesus' time is very different from Jewish synagogues today. And one of the biggest differences between the temple then and how we worship today is that everyone who came to the temple was required to bring a burnt offering or a sacrifice with them. And what do they use for these burnt offerings and sacrifices? Well, they use animals like cows and sheep and doves. So that's part of why we find these animals inside of the temple. But it's not the only reason why we find them there. There's something else that we need to know that makes the temple in Jesus' time different than the church in our time. Now, when you got up this morning and you decided that you wanted to go to church, we're glad that you decided to worship with us. But the truth is, you had a whole lot of different options about where you could go to church this morning. Just a quick Google search will show you that there are over 500 churches in the city of Louisville alone. And about 170 of those churches are Baptist churches, like ours. So you had a whole lot of different options. But that's not just true if you go to church inside of a big city. It's also true inside of small towns, like the small town that I served in before moving to Louisville nine years ago. Now, in that small town with a population of under 2,000 people, there were about a dozen different churches inside of the city limits. So even in a small town, people had a lot of options for where they would, would go to church. And that's just for in-person services. This doesn't even touch on how much the world has changed and how much the church has been changed because of COVID-19. Because right now, there are literally tens of thousands of different churches who are posting their worship services online every single week. So when you get up any day of the week, you can decide to go to one of these tens of thousands of different churches. But in Jesus' day, there was one temple. Just one temple. And everyone who wanted to worship God had to come to that one temple to do so. And when they did, they had to bring a sacrifice. And you know what? That probably wasn't that big of a deal for people who lived just down the street from the temple. Not a big deal for them to bring a cow or a sheep or some doves with them for a block or two. But if you lived hundreds or thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, it was a big deal. And it was a big deal because you didn't just have to pack up old Bessie or Baba Black Sheep and haul them for hundreds or thousands of miles. You also had to pack up enough food and enough water and whatever other essentials they may need to make that trip. So the folks in charge of the temple, they actually come up with a really good idea. They decide that they want to do something to make it easier and more convenient for people to come and worship God and offer sacrifices. And what they do is they allow vendors to set up stations in the courts outside of the temple where they can sell animals to be used in these sacrifices. 
So that's why we see these animals in the story. But again, if you were paying attention, you probably noticed something else that seems a little strange and out of place. And that's the fact that there were also money changers in the courts outside of the temple. But why were these money changers there? Well, again, we have to remember that the temple in Jesus' time is very different than the church in our time. And in our time, we rely on the donations of our members, our regular attenders, or anyone who wants to help support the work and the ministry of our church to make our financial ends meet. But in Jesus' time, everyone who came to the temple was required to pay a temple tax. But there were very strict rules about what they could use to pay these taxes. And specifically, there were rules about what could or could not be on the coins that they used when they paid the temple tax. Now think about this for just a second. What do you find, what pictures do you find on our coins in America today? Well, if you're looking at a penny, you're going to find Abraham Lincoln, and nickel's got Thomas Jefferson, a dime has FDR, and a quarter has George Washington. And we could keep going. But all of our coins have a human's image on them. But you couldn't pay the tax with any coin that had a human's image on it. And every coin in the Roman Empire would have had the image of one of the emperors on it. So, for anyone living in the Roman Empire, they had to change their Roman coins with an emperor's face on it for another coin to be used to pay the temple tax. But how did they exchange these coins? Well, again, think about how we would do this today. Now, imagine that I wanted to travel to Europe and I wanted to carry some cash with me. How would I go about doing that? Well, I would go to a bank or another financial institution where I could exchange my American dollars for euros. But in Jesus' time, it's not like they had banks on every corner that could handle this kind of transaction. There weren't banks in every small town or even every major city that could exchange Roman currency for the coins to be used to pay a temple tax. So again, to make it a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient for people to come and worship in the temple, the leaders of the temple allowed money changers, vendors, to be set up outside of their worship space in the outer courts. Again, it would be pretty strange for us to see a whole bunch of miniature banks outside of our sanctuary today, but there's a reason why you found them in Jesus' time. Because people needed to exchange their Roman currency for the currency to pay the temple tax. Now, you probably heard me mention something when I was talking about both of these examples that I want to tackle right here. I said that both vendors that sold animals and the ones that exchanged money, they were there to make it easier and more convenient for people to worship God. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea and to think that that's why Jesus get, gets upset and he turns over the tables and he drives out the animals and the money vendors. Jesus isn't upset because these folks have made it easier or more convenient for people to come and worship God. No. Jesus tells us why he's so upset in Mark 11, verse 17. So let's look at that again. In Mark 11, verse 17, Jesus says, Hasn't it been written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. So although Jesus does not explicitly spell it out for us in this passage, and it's not specifically spelled out for us anywhere else in the New Testament, it's not hard for us to infer what's happening here. Jesus is upset because the folks that are inside of the temple selling the animals are either selling animals at an unfair rate 
or they are selling animals that are unfit for the sacrifices. And Jesus is upset at the money vendors because they are all overcharging. They're not executing a fair exchange rate. So both the animal vendors and the money changers are all lining their pockets off of their ill-gotten gains as they take advantage of people who come to worship God. And that's what makes Jesus so angry. He's angry, he's upset, because the actions of these few individuals are driving people away from God. But what does this have to do with us? And specifically for what we're talking about today, what does this story have to teach us about how we can follow God when we face difficult times in our lives? Well, I don't know about you, but when I face difficult times in my life, my emotions tend to run a little bit high, And that means that it's not too difficult for me to get angry or to get upset. And the problem isn't just that I get angry or that I get upset, but it's also that I justify my anger. And I can easily justify my anger by saying that I'm not just angry, I'm also right. My anger is right. So I'll give you a few examples here. If, I, if I'm angry, if, I'm, if my emotions are running high, if I'm going through a difficult time and I'm doing something like going through the drive-thru at McDonald's and my order gets messed up when I pick it up at the pickup window, my natural assumption isn't that I messed up when I placed my order back at the box. My natural assumption is that I was right. I placed the correct order and it was somebody working inside of that McDonald's that messed things up. Or when I'm driving down Taylorsville Road, when my emotions are running high and I'm going through a difficult time, it's not hard for me to get angry when a guy behind me honks their horn. But my natural assumption isn't that I did something wrong. My natural assumption is that I am a perfect driver and I was following all the rules and all the traffic regulations, so it's the guy behind me that's got a problem. Or when my emotions are running high and I'm going through a difficult time and I'm sitting around on a Saturday afternoon watching some college basketball. It's not hard for me to get angry when a referee misses a call. And I get angry at that referee because I saw what happened with my own two eyes, but that referee, they blew it. So it's not hard. It's not hard for me to get angry, and it's also not hard for me to justify my anger because I think that I'm right. But here's what we need to learn. Here's what I need to learn. Here's what I need, what I need you to learn to help all of us follow God, even in difficult times. Here it is. Just because I think I'm right, it doesn't mean my anger is righteous. Just because I think I'm right, that doesn't mean my anger is righteous. And if my anger isn't righteous, then it's no good for me. If my anger isn't righteous, then that leads to destruction. If my anger isn't righteous, it's going to break apart the relationships that I have with other people or with God. If my anger isn't righteous, it is going to do harm. It is not going to do good. And the same thing is absolutely true for you. If your anger isn't righteous, it is destructive. It's going to pull you apart from God and other people, and it's going to do do harm in your life. But how do you know if your anger is righteous or not? How do you know if your anger is righteous or not? Well, this is something that Ed Stetzer, who is a preacher and a professor and a scholar, writes about in his book, Christians in the Age of Outreach. He actually gives us three different guidelines to use to figure out if our anger is righteous or not. So let's talk about what Dr. Stetzer writes. And the first thing that Dr. Stetzer tells us to figure out if our anger is righteous or not is that righteous anger mirrors God's anger. Righteous anger mirrors God's anger. 
what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that when we get angry, our anger is supposed to make us run through a temple and turn over tables and drive people and animals out of it? No. What that means is that our anger is going to come from the same place that God's anger comes from. And inside of the story that we just read, we see that God's anger comes from a place not of hatred for the folks that are taking advantage of others, but from a place of love for the people that we're being taken advantage of. So for us, we need to figure out if our anger is coming from a place of love or not. And as I think about that, you know, I think about the reaction that I have as I'm driving down Taylorsville Road and a guy behind me honks their horn at me. I've got to tell you that my anger in that situation doesn't come from a place of love. I'm not looking in the rearview mirror reminding myself that the person in the car behind me is a child of God that was created in the image of God and given infinite value and worth by God. No, I'm sitting there looking in my rearview mirror thinking, what is this jerk's problem? Okay, so that's the first thing. Righteous anger is going to mirror God's anger. The next thing, the next guideline for us to figure out if our anger is righteous or not, is that righteous anger is directed at the things that anger God. Righteous anger is directed at the things that anger God. And what kind of things make God angry? Well, I hate to break it to you, but if they forget to take the pickles off of your cheeseburger at McDonald's, that probably doesn't make God too angry. Instead, the things that make God angry are things like we saw in this passage. We saw people being driven away from God because of the behaviors of other people. We saw that innocent people were being taken advantage of by others. We see that people are being impressed, that there is injustice inside of this passage. So it's things like that, oppression, injustice, racism, prejudice, things that drive folks away from God. Those are the things that make God angry and upset. And the third guideline that Dr. Stetzer gives us to figure out if our anger is righteous or not is that he reminds us that righteous anger will submit to God as the ultimate judge. Righteous anger will submit to God as the ultimate judge. But this isn't the way that we usually feel when we're angry. When we are usually angry, we don't want to defer to God. What we want is we want that person that we're angry at to get what they have coming. And sometimes we're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that they get what they have coming. But that's not righteous anger. Righteous anger realizes that God is the ultimate judge, and he is the only one that can judge. So we submit to God's role as that ultimate judge. So there's those three guidelines for you. Righteous anger mirrors God's anger. Righteous anger is directed at the things that anger God. And righteous anger submits to God's role as the ultimate authority. So those are the guidelines that we need to use when we get angry, when we're facing difficult times, or when we just get angry in our daily life. We need to check ourselves and ask, is my anger mirroring God's anger? Is my anger directed at something that would upset God? Is my anger something that I'm willing to submit to God? It's the ultimate judge. You know what? If it's not, we need to let it go. And chances are that at least nine times out of ten, your anger is not righteous. Your anger is not righteous about nine times out of ten at least. So you have to be willing to let your anger go.
And we've seen over the course of the last year how anger has played out as we have lived through these difficult times. We've seen anger directed at our governor here in Kentucky and other elected officials all across the country. People have been upset and angry about different mandates that have been put into place to help protect us over the course of the last year. We see it playing out inside of Jefferson County right now as people are upset and angry as we're trying to make a decision about when our kids are going to be able to resume in-person activities and learning inside of their schools. People are angry even though some of these decisions are being made to, made to help protect our kids. People have been angry when restaurants or stores or other places have required face masks for them to enter in to enjoy those services. But all those examples have one thing in common. They're not righteous anger. Those examples of anger, they're coming from a place of inconvenience. They're coming from a place that makes our life a little bit harder, so we're not real happy about it. And when we're angry like that, we have to be able to let it go. We have to remember, we have to realize that our anger, if it's not righteous, it's destructive. It's harmful. It's going to tear apart our relationships with other people and with God. So when you're going through a difficult time, you're going to get angry. You're going to get upset. It's going to happen. But what you have to do, if you want to follow God, even in these difficult times, is you have to be able to take a step back. You have to be able to examine your anger. You have to figure out if your anger is coming from a place of righteousness or not. And if it's not coming from a place of righteousness, you have to be willing to let your anger go. And when you put that together with what we learned last Sunday, you have to let your anger go, and you have to trust in God. You have to trust that God is in control, and that God is working in those situations that make you angry, that he is going to redeem them, that he's going to help you make it through, because God is always in control. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the time that we've had together to, to come and worship you today, God. And we thank you for the reminder that we've had today about our anger. And God, what we've heard today isn't that, it, that we're never supposed to get upset or that we're never supposed to get angry. It's the reality is, God, that sometimes those things are going to happen. There are going to be times when we get upset. There are going to be times when we get angry. But what we need to do if we really want to follow you, God, is we need to be willing to examine why we get angry. And we need to figure out if our anger is righteous or not. We need to figure out if our anger mirrors your anger, if it's directed at the same things that anger you, and if we're really willing to submit our anger to you as the ultimate judge and authority in our lives. So God, help us. Help us as we face these difficult times to be willing to let go of our anger and to trust in you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has challenged you to think about your anger. Because let's be honest, we all get angry sometimes, and that's especially true when we're going through difficult times because our tempers just run a little bit shorter then. But just because we're feeling angry, that doesn't mean that our anger is righteous. So we need to be able to take the time, take a step back, and examine ourselves to reflect on our anger, to figure out if it's righteous or not. And if it's not, we have to be willing to let it go. Now, next week, we're going to continue on in the sermon series, and we're going to be exploring something that happens on the Tuesday of Holy Week. 
And I'll be honest with you right now, the story that takes place on uh, the Tuesday of Holy Week, it's not exactly a familiar story for us. It's not the triumphal entry. It's not Jesus cleansing the temple. It's not like the story of the First Communion or the story of Jesus' final 24 hours on this earth leading up to the crucifixion. But this story can teach us a whole lot about how we can follow God in difficult times too. So we hope that you'll come back and join us next Sunday when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget, you can also come and join us for worship live every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You can join us at mhbclouisville.com slash live. Well, until next week, I hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we'll see you next Sunday for another sermon podcast.